That song reminds me of the scene from Isaiah chapter six, where it says he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he also beheld seraphim who were flying and they were singing to one another, holy, holy, holy. And then you hear a gospel reading like this. And what is it like for Jesus? God from God, light from light. What is it like for Jesus? Eternal son, eternal word. To find himself at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, anonymous, not recognized. Story is so strange, it has so many holes in it, so much missing information that I think we tend to presume and we tend to jump in. And, and we don't even know so much of what happens in this story. Who found out that they were running out of wine? The text doesn't tell us. All we know is that the master of the feast was under the impression that this was a planned thing. So he doesn't necessarily know that they run out of wine, just that they've saved the good stuff for the end, surprisingly. We don't know if the bride or the groom know, or the parents of the bride or the parents. We don't know who knows, but isn't it interesting that when somehow Mary finds out that they're out of wine, we don't know how she finds out. She doesn't go to Jesus and say, help us. She just goes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. I'm thinking that maybe even, you know, Jesus is an invite to this wedding and he's not a plus one, he's a plus 12, right? He shows up with 12 friends to this wedding and I'm guessing that even among the disciples, there's only really one person at that event for whom Jesus is not anonymous. Let's pray this morning. Father, we bless you. We thank you for the gift of your word made flesh. We thank you for scriptures that are in our language. We especially thank you for your spirit who teaches us all things, who dwells within us. We pray that your spirit would move among us in such a way that preaching would be easy and hearing it would be a delight. Have your way among us, we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning around the theme of a transformed consciousness. The first song we sang is one that's very familiar. It's quickly becoming a standard in many circles. And the bridge in the, in the chorus, the bridge in the song says, let us become more aware of your presence. Consciousness. There's a story that this year is 10 years old, and it's a story of the Pilate brothers. Two brothers who are living in a cave outside of Budapest, Hungary. They're so poor, they literally live in a cave. And somehow, a distant relative, a grandmother, I believe, who lived in Germany, passed away. 
And by law, because of the, I'm guessing, international requirements, they had to hunt down, find, track down her nearest descendants. And among them are these two men in their 40s living in a cave outside of Budapest. And the reason they had to track these guys down is because she was giving them as an inheritance $6.6 billion. This is an NBC story. This is not a meme. So like this is not, like this didn't come up on social media. This is a news item from 10 years ago where two impoverished adult men living in a cave discover they are now combined worth almost $7 billion. You talk about a new awareness. You talk about a light bulb going off. Oh my goodness. How many of you could use a, a word like that in your life? Come on, we can preach that up in here. And everybody's like, no, 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 please don't. Please don't preach that word up in here. <laughs> no. Some of you might remember, one of the things that is an important part of my journey, an important part of my walk is from my childhood, my dad always would seek God and say, give me a verse for the year that I can focus my heart, focus my mind, and be sensitive to throughout the year. And this year, I've always, had, I've always had that happen when I became pastor in New York. I would always have these moments where sometime in October-ish, I would be sitting with the scripture and something would just jump off the page at me. And it was, it, I mean, for six years in a row, it was like, boom, there it is. And this year, nada. And I kept sitting and kept sitting and kept sitting. And I came to this verse in Genesis 28. And uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 10. Verse 10 is not the verse, but it just sets up the verse. And verse 10 of Genesis 28. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night. I'll draw your attention. He came to a certain place. We're going to come back to that. He stayed there that night because the sun had set Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, exclamation point. And behold... The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring, all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And this 16th verse is the one that God has put on my heart. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. 
and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Same place, but a different place. What a difference a night of sleep can make. What didn't change was the geography. What did change was Jacob. What didn't change was his circumstance and his situation. What did change was his consciousness in the circumstance and the situation. What's interesting to me is as I sat with the gospel text that you heard this morning read, the gospel text starts at John 2, verse 1. The previous chapter ends, John 1 and verse 51, with this line. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Isn't that interesting? Genesis 28 is what Jesus is referencing in John 1, right before he goes to the wedding at Cana. A couple of quick thoughts for you. Number one, you never know who is at your party. Think about it. What was their rationale for inviting Jesus and the infamous plus 12? What was their rationale for inviting him? I'm guessing small town, but it's not his town. This is relatively new in his baptism, in his ministry. Uh, tradition would have it that Jesus was baptized on the first day. On the second day, he encounters Philip and Nathaniel and company. And it's on the third day, it says in John 2, verse 1, that they went to the wedding feast at Cana. So this is caught up very early in Jesus' ministry. So the point we want to make here is, have blind eyes been opened yet? No. Have lepers been cleansed yet? No. Has he raised any dead girls or healed any women by virtue of his clothing? No. Has he preached the Sermon on the Mount yet? No. But he gets an invite with his posse. Interesting. Maybe the thought was that Jesus was an important teacher and that his presence would be respectful or add gravitas to the event. But it's safe to say that whoever has invited Jesus to this wedding is not aware they are not conscious of the fact that they have invited the word made flesh, the one spoken into nothingness by the Father to create the universe. They're not aware that they have invited the one who brought Eve to Adam for the very first wedding. When the, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. This is Jesus in the garden who is the tree of life. They don't know that the one they've invited, that they think is just a rabbi, is the one to whom every marriage points. And here's what else I'm guessing they don't know. They don't know they're going to run out of wine. Clearly, they're not Italian. That was for my wife. 
the worst sin that will send you to the seventh ring of hell in an Italian household is running out of food. Sometimes our lives run out of wine. And it's not because of our poor planning. It's not because we were lazy and we said, oh, well, let somebody else take care of it. Sometimes our life runs out of wine because there's three guys over in that section of the room that you weren't thinking would put that many bottles down. Hello? In other words, sometimes you run out of wine because life happens. You run out of wine, you run out of steam, you run out of joy, you run out of focus, you run out of a sense of purpose, you run out of a sense of vision and destiny, and it's not because you're a lazy bum, it's because life happened. Life has a way, doesn't it? What do they say? The best laid plans of mice and men and married couples, <laughs> they often go awry. Life has a way of reminding us that we're not all that. Life has a way of reminding us that we are not all powerful, we are not in control, reminding us that you can't always make a wine run. Hello? You can't always stop by to the nearest store to grab 180 gallons of the good stuff. Some of our trouble just simply isn't due to our negligence. Imagine, imagine being the person who discovers you're out of wine. Not a good place to be, but what's the worst place to be? To be the servant who has to bring the ladle full of the water to the master. How many people want to sign up for that ministry? I'm going to bring this cup of what I know was water when I ladled it out. I'm going to bring this to the master of the feast and try to pull this off as wine. I mean, let's put ourselves in that position for a while. That's an uncomfortable spot to be in. Maybe the greatest faith in this entire narrative isn't Mary, but it's the person holding the cup, shaking like this, like... Here you go, down the hatch. How about this one? All the saints and angels gather round the throne. Close our eyes, can you see it? What are they? They're casting down their crowns. What happens in this story? Does anybody ever say, Jesus of Nazareth did this. Does anybody ever say, no, 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 we didn't save the best wine for last. We ran out and the rabbi did him. Does he ever get praise? Does he ever get the glory? Did anybody know he was there? I wonder how many times Jesus slips in and out of our wineless weddings and does some amazing things, and we didn't even know it. Which is, of course, the connection to Jacob, right? It says, Jacob, 
was sent by his father Isaac back to his uncle's house to get a wife. And everybody said, ill. That was disturbing. A lot of you should have said ill because that's disgusting. He gets sent back to Laban's house. Uncles, my uncle's kids are my cousins. Go back and find a wife. Ill. Just saying. It's, it's worth noting that Jacob lands in a certain place. And I want us in our minds to try to make a connection between the certain place that Jacob finds himself in and the wineless place that Jesus and company found themselves in. And here's the reality. The certain place, Hebrew scholars would suggest to us that that certain place was actually a very particular place. And that is, it was the site of cultic Canaanite rituals for centuries. But by the time Jacob showed up, it was an anonymous place without a name. And in this quick narrative of 17 verses plus, um, not even, not even 10 verses, here's what we find. The word place appears six times in the story. This is an important thing where it seems like the writer by the Spirit of God is trying to get our attention to the place. He's in this place that used to be significant, but now is anonymous. He used to be in a place that was the center of activity, and now it's a campsite featuring one camper. Can I ask you a question? Are there times where you have found yourself in a place that's past its prime? Have you found yourself in a situation, a circumstance, a relationship that isn't what it once was? Maybe church is like that for you. Maybe marriage is like that for you. Maybe work is like that for you. Maybe this sermon is like that for you. Man, it took a dive about eight minutes in. I don't know, but the point is, it's now faded into anonymity. What is this called? Oh, transform, okay. We can laugh and we can joke, but I think the fact is, if you're not there now, you've probably been there before. And if none of that's true, get ready because it's coming. There's going to come a moment where you're going to find yourself in a certain place. We call it ordinary time. We find ourselves in those places that have drifted into blandness, into milk toast, into passe. And like a wedding that's about to become a disaster or this ancient worship center that's now nameless, there are places in our lives that for various reasons we just rather not be. I went to lunch with somebody from church this week and we we're talking about those lunch meetings when you ask somebody to go to lunch and forget your wallet. Whew, that's a place you don't want to be, Right? We all have those situations that make us uncomfortable at worst or that are just forgettable at best. And I think what God has been speaking to my heart and what I want to share with you is that God wants to take those places, those uncomfortable weddings 
where you've run out of wine and you're just trying to stall so that nobody finds out. (laughs) You've run out of faith, but you're going to come another Sunday because you're just trying to stall and hopefully the sermon will get you back. The wedding that's choking on fumes when you pull into church on Sunday morning and just hope we can make it to the point. Maybe we'll watch a romantic comedy and it will save our marriage. They'll play our song. Or maybe you're in that place like Jacob that's as dull and forgettable and ordinary and just a stop on the way and you're not really paying much mind. Maybe you find yourself this morning in the first month of 2019 saying, oh, it's just another year. Just another year plodding along, same old, same old status quo. Maybe that's where you are. If that's where you are, you're in a certain place, just like Jacob. And here is where I felt like the Spirit sort of just tweaked the way I heard the text. I've always, and this is, I should, don't judge me, okay? I've always heard this text in a negative way. Like Jacob was a doof. Like he's an idiot. Like, oh my goodness, God was here. I didn't even know it. That's just, the, I, I, I'm telling you too much about me when I say that, which I'm hesitant. But here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit had to tweak it for me and say, and, and if this is for you, I want you to do something goofy and silly, and I want you to say a hearty amen as an act of faith that you're going to grab what I'm about to say. And if that freaks you out, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to say it, all right? But here's what I felt like God said to me. Mark, I'm going to surprise you this year with how many places I really am and how many places I'm really working in your life. I'll take that. And I'll be the doof who didn't recognize it. That's fine. Just God show up in my life. Show up in a certain place. Even though I didn't give you props and invite you like I should have invited you, do what only you can do. Because I can't make a wine run in the middle of Cana. All the stores are closed. It's Oklahoma. Come on. Holiness is still right, saints. And that gets me thinking, maybe we don't need God. Mark, maybe you don't need God to transform your situation as much as you need him to transform your consciousness. In the middle of the situation. You know, more than a wife, Jacob needed to recognize God's presence was with him. Even in a certain place. Notice this, Jacob never climbs a ladder. Jacob never climbs a ladder. The story reminds us that this is what the life of faith looks like. It's forward and it's upward. Jacob keeps moving. He gets up the next day and keeps going on the original course. Too much of the faith that we grew up with was escapist. Hello. It was escapist, and we were looking to get out of situations. But the solution is not to make our faith earthbound. We need to see angels 
ascending. And isn't it interesting that the angels don't descend and ascend? They ascend and then they descend. Our faith is forward. We keep moving, but it is also upward. In other words, I believe for my heart this year, and I hope you can buy into this and something just clicks with you this morning, is that I need to be present in places realizing that I've got this dimension where God is in this place. He's working in ways I don't even know, and I don't need to change the place. I need God to change me. I need God to open up my eyes. Well, how many times does the apostle Paul pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that God would just open up your perception, your consciousness? But I also want to be the person who understands my faith, my, 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 my sense of God's presence in the moment is meant to be experienced in an earthly realm. R. R. Reno, who's a wonderful Catholic scholar, he said, Christ is the very ladder upon which the angels ascend and descend. He is not a window onto a greater reality. He's not an escape. He is the living medium of commerce between heaven and earth. I can only speak for me, but my life needs a little commerce this year. I need a little heaven and earth exchanging this year. And I want to see it. I want to be aware of it. I want to be awake. I want to be awake to God. How many sermons do we sit through? Services we sit through. Devotionals we sit through. Songs we sit through. Friendships, relationships, conversations we sit through. And we never knew God was there. Well, how would you know? Could you prove this? How about we take a chance on hoping that he's there? How about if we want to err on the side, we are on the side that God's showing up, God's speaking, God's doing something. See, I want to pray that in the best ways for us this year, it'll be a series of epiphanies, a series of awakenings, a series of of enlightenments, where we're quickly becoming aware of the presence of Christ in the ordinary times and places of our lives. Services, sermons, meals, conversations. These aren't things we assess. These are things we enter into. These are things that possess us as much as we possess them. Don't be consumers of the relationships in your life. Don't be critics, like food and wine critics, when somebody comes to serve you the meat of the word. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. If something's not satisfying, if something's not filling, if it's not satiating the deepest longing of our souls, maybe it's because we're coming to the table like critics instead of starving beggars. I'm not saying we shouldn't be discerning. I'm not saying that we should just consume meat and bones together. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying, but the core of who we are, are we hungry? Are we looking? Are we open? And that's what I'm saying is I can come to a table and if God will transform my consciousness, 
I'll see that not only is he present, but he's working. And he's working to pull my 2019 into his story. He's working to pull my year into his story. Because notice this. When it comes to the story of Jacob, he says this in the 15th verse of Genesis 28. God says to Jacob, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. But look at this. For I will not leave you. Somebody please. I don't want to spook you out, but I feel as I'm reading it, I'm telling you, somebody's got to hear this. God says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. In other words, God's got an agenda and God's going to do what God's up to. That's what he's saying. Jacob, you think you're getting a wife, but I'm birthing a nation. And our gospel story this morning, Jesus doesn't do what we see in Exodus. He doesn't turn water to blood. He turns water to wine. Because this is a new exodus. And this is the Spirit of God coming upon the people of God so we can be one with God. Participating fully in the life of God as we were created to. This is what God is up to and wants to pull your year into. Let's pray together.